0: welcome to the buzz i'm christopher conover parts of the economy are strong but others are faltering this week we take a look at how arizona is recovering from the economic losses brought on by covid 19. walk through downtown or other business areas and you'll see plenty of help wanted signs But at the same time, unemployment in Arizona is back to pre-pandemic levels. University of Arizona economist Dr. George Hammond says the state's recovery from the Great Recession was one of the slowest in the country. But that's not true this time around.
1: Our recovery uh, during the pandemic uh, has been quite rapid we got hit hard during the early months of the pandemic you know the state lost about uh, 330,000 jobs from february to april but then we bounced back rapidly as the stay at home orders were lifted and since then we've had uh, relatively strong growth and in fact as of september arizona has replaced of the jobs lost in those first two months of the pandemic, uh, whereas the nation has only replaced about 78% of the jobs that were lost. And in fact, Phoenix has replaced all of the jobs that, uh, that they lost during those first two months of the downturn.
0: What was it that Arizona did to make us a positive outlier when it comes to economic recovery when compared to the rest of the nation?
1: Well, even though the state got hit hard during the early months of the pandemic, we didn't see as large a downturn as the nation did. And part of that was because uh, I think our stay-at-home order was uh, not as restrictive as they were on some of the some of the other parts of the country. So that helped us recover more rapidly. Um, and, you know, it, it may just be that uh, Arizonans were more comfortable with the risks that the pandemic posed and were you know, more comfortable going back and doing uh, some of the things that we were doing before the pandemic began.
0: When things were opening up earlier this year and then the Delta variant came around, did we see a noticeable drop in the economy or were people just staying out used to what they were doing?
1: Now, we've seen uh, Arizona's seasonally adjusted jobs declined uh, in August and again in September. So I think that the the resurgence of the pandemic driven by the Delta variant absolutely had an impact on job growth. But, you know, we want to keep in mind that the labor market is really in turmoil now and there are a large number of things going on. You know, people are, are just reevaluating where they want to work and how much they want to work. And that's probably contributing to the, you know, the either slow job growth or small downturns that we're seeing here uh, in Arizona over the past couple of months. What
0: are some of the reasons people are citing that they might not want to be taking jobs right now?
1: Well, they're uh, citing particularly families or, or saying that uh, they're having trouble with childcare options and that's getting more expensive. Um, individuals who were, you know, close to retirement and had the means to retire, a large number of them did retire during the pandemic. Um, and you know, overall, people are just reevaluating where they what industries they want to work in and what they what occupations they're interested in. And we're it's likely that we're seeing a bit of a shift away from some of the travel and tourism occupations with high, uh, public facing content required. And, uh, you know, maybe people are looking for different kinds of, of careers that are, um, you know, uh, a little bit less exposed to that and maybe pay a little bit better.
0: Are there some sectors in Arizona that are doing very well economically and then others that are struggling?
1: Well, the travel and tourism sector overall is still Really struggling in terms of replacing the jobs that were lost. So, you know, travel and tourism or leisure and hospitality jobs are still down um, more than 25,000 from where they were before the pandemic began. But, you know, we're seeing this and we've seen this throughout the pandemic a a divergence between what's going on in the labor market and what's happening to um, overall income and sales growth. So, income was really supported significantly by the federal income support flowing to states, including Arizona. And that's driven increases in sales. And one thing we've seen, uh, you know, over the summer was a a huge resurgence in taxable sales in restaurants and bars, hotels and motels, and uh, amusements. Uh, So that, you know, the spending has really uh, rebounded, but the uh, firms in those industries are really struggling to find uh, employees and get that, uh, the job mix back to where it was. Is that a typical
0: balance that we're seeing where spending is increasing, but on the flip side of it in that same industry, we're just trying to do the balance, or is that unique to the hospitality, travel, tourism industry?
1: Well, that uh, that divergence is really unusual um, in a recovery. Uh, you know, it's driven by the the very rapid, very large federal income response uh, during the pandemic. Uh, you know, I think we're employers across most industries, including my own, are are uh, are struggling to to hire uh, at the moment. And you know, again, part of that's driven by you know people are just really evaluating what they want to do and and where they want to do it.
0: Even though Arizona's economy has recovered, so many of the jobs, as you said, there were some sectors that suffered more than others, or are continuing to suffer. Is there a bright spot sector? We don't want to be all doom and gloom on this.
1: Absolutely, the the sector that uh, has really been uh, generating large numbers of jobs throughout the pandemic is trade, transportation, and utilities. And most of those jobs are in transportation and warehousing. And you know this reflects the the large shift towards online shopping during the pandemic and increased use of delivery services. So, you know, that's a sector that's uh, about 33,000 jobs above where it was in February of uh, 2020.
0: Are there long term consequences to the changes in the way we work due to the pandemic, the more work from home, the more mobile nature that some work has become? Or is this just temporary and eventually we're going to go back the way we were?
1: The Increased flexibility that people have in, enjoyed um, in in many industries and occupations is something that we'll see going forward. Um, I don't think we'll see as many people working remotely uh, over the next couple of years as we did during 2020 and early 2021. But I think um, increased flexibility uh, that is something that will stay with us, and you know, people won't spend as much time in the in the normal office environment for. Um, you know, many industries uh, compared to what they were doing before the pandemic.
0: That increased flexibility, do you think that's going to have to be an offer now or part of a, a benefit package, if you will, as industries, companies try and get people to come back to work?
1: Yeah, I think that will be part of uh, offer packages as well, increased wages uh, and uh, other perks needed to lure people back into uh, some of the industries that are not as attractive now as as they were before the pandemic began. And, you know, those are going to be those industries where there's a lot of face-to-face contact.
0: That was University of Arizona economist George Hammond. The construction industry has been slow to hire since long before the pandemic, and added demand for homes made the need greater. As Megan Myskowski reports, that's made some in the industry look for creative ways to bring in
2: new talent. Ionice Espinoza is a high school student, and she's sitting in a classroom with a textbook on construction in front of her. She and her classmates are learning the names of tools and what they do. They've been using that new knowledge to make knickknacks like a pumpkin-shaped napkin holder. I finished
3: it yesterday and I gave it as a gift to my Nana. Yeah, She loved it and she gave me a hug and everything.
2: Espinosa's dad works in construction. She says seeing him build houses made her think it could be something for her too. So she signed up for a class at a Pima County training facility next door to our high school. So far she really likes her carpentry assignments because they're also a good creative outlet. Craig Ball teaches Espinosa's class, and he says part of the goal of the program is simply getting kids interested in construction jobs.
0: I'm just enthusiastic no matter what, like, I just love it. So I just tell them how much I would love this, or how much I would do this.
2: That can mean showing kids that if they're creative, like Espinosa or want a job that feels fulfilling, there's a place for them somewhere in the field. It also means dispelling stereotypes and convincing parents that construction is a good path to take. He tries to make his class engaging. Instead of
0: me just giving them a test and say, hey, label all the parts of this, I give them this, go build me your test and label all of it.
2: And he interjects his lessons with information about what kinds of opportunities are out there, what apprenticeships the kids can go after, and some more general financial and even life advice. Programs like this are important because the construction industry really needs workers. The number of construction workers in Arizona and across the country took a big hit in the 2008 financial crisis. It still hadn't fully recovered when the pandemic set in, and as demand for housing increased, the industry struggled to find enough people to fill those jobs. Mike Goodwin is the chairman for the Arizona Builders Alliance in southern Arizona, and he says he hears from lots of contractors who say they can't find qualified people for the jobs they need to fill. So his organization wants to get more young people hooked.
1: We're trying to get in and meet with some of the middle schoolers
0: earlier, plant seeds about, do you like to work with your hands? Do you like to be outside? Do you like to go different places and not go to the same place every day? You know, well, maybe construction is something you want to take a look at.
2: According to data from the job search website ZipRecruiter, the average construction worker in Tucson makes about $14 an hour, which is a couple dollars less than the national average. Goodwin says that means employers are feeling the push to increase pay, especially as they see ads at fast food chains offering more. He's also the operations manager for an air conditioning contractor in Tucson, and he's been trying to fill three job openings for the last two months. They've posted them to about 20 websites.
0: But for the most part, it's like there's not a whole lot of action there.
2: So he's tried recruiters that specialize in construction hiring, which gets expensive. He's also lost people to competitors that made better offers.
0: It's highly competitive.
2: He says they're making do with fewer people by using more technology. They now assemble more pieces off-site and use drones when they can. But these workarounds only go so far in the current housing market. Jim Toefel is a managing member of Toefel Dent Construction, which has built many affordable housing projects in Arizona and New Mexico. He says construction work in Arizona never really slowed down during the pandemic. But the constraints felt across the industry apply to affordable housing, too.
0: The affordable housing is really impacted by what's happening right now with the single family market rate
3: and market rate apartments.
2: He says beyond attracting more young people to the field, the industry could incorporate more technology. For example, affordable housing could be built with 3D printers.
0: The construction industry in general is slow to change. I think we are seeing some change, but it's taking time.
2: And those changes could transform the industry that Espinosa and her classmates might decide to go into. For The Buzz, I'm Megan Myskowski.
0: You're listening to The Buzz. I'm Christopher Conover. This week, we're looking at Arizona's economic recovery as the COVID-19 pandemic continues. During the pandemic, hospitals in southern Arizona were pushed to their limits. The pace of the pandemic is better now, but hospitals are still struggling. Mimi Kumler is a nurse and the new CEO at Tucson Medical Center. She says before the pandemic, the turnover rate was below 9% at TMC, making it a national leader for nurses. Now, however, the need cannot be overstated.
3: We had um, the majority of our um, nursing positions filled. We had a, a very competitive program with respect to new grads. And, and our training program for new nurses, I, I think, was noted as you know one of the best in town. And so it was a place, or it is a place, where nurses can start and spend their entire career, but not necessarily in the, same, in the same place doing the same job. What's the
0: biggest issue for nurses right now? Is it burnout? Is it workplace safety? What's going on?
3: Well, I think that you hit on a couple of the key issues. So unquestionably, we have higher rates of burnout among um, clinical staff, nurses, physicians, and other ancillary health professionals. There was a lot of excess work excess anxiety and fear about the risks involved in caring for for COVID positive patients. And so so as the peak of the pandemic, particularly here in Tucson and Arizona, started to wane in the spring, we saw a significant number of nurses retiring. So they made it through the the fire or through the storm and, and said, now is the right time for me. And then as the world, work world changed during the pandemic, this work from home option really evolved. We saw a number of nurses leave the hospital or leave our community because their significant other had more flexible working options. And with the different waves of the pandemic, There were a substantial amount of travel nurse opportunities, uh, and travel nurse opportunities come with higher wages. And then, so fast forward to today, where we've seen all of those um, issues have have sort of converged, and we've seen a nursing turnover rate that is almost three times what we typically um, experience in a year. So a significant number of vacancies. I think at our peak, we were close to short 200 nurses. As we had those vacancies, we engaged in hiring travel nurses to ensure that that we had an appropriate and adequate workforce. And then we have nurses who are core and have been tenured TMC employees working alongside a significant number of travel nurses who are making significantly more. and so, I really think that that has um caused for far greater frustration this um this disparity in in pay for nurses is a is a real issue that we are actively um, working on in addition to adjusting um, some of our pay practices to honor those core nurses who have worked here for um, for a long time but what do you do
0: to entice new nurses to come in? to be permanently on the staff at TMC because, as you said, you have about 200 openings right now.
3: A piece of that is is the overall compensation package. Um, That conversation is often okay, here are the five institutions I'm considering. Let me evaluate what does the TMC culture, what does the specific um, uh, job offer me in terms of the opportunity for professional growth? What are your benefits like? So it is highly competitive. And so one of the things that will change starting in January for us is um, a benefit for fertility services. We have a great um, set of health health insurance um, uh, benefits, but fertility was not a part of that. And so, and I just want to clarify at the peak of our openings, we had 200, um, nurse openings and that, um, that has really come down. We've had some success. I think we're right now we're at about 150. So we're starting to see some, um, improved retention as well as success in recruitment.
0: Do you think these recruiting changes and what nurses coming into TMC or any institution are looking for, are these permanent changes or will they change or go away as the pandemic hopefully wanes over time?
3: I believe that nursing compensation has changed permanently. I think there has been a lot of wage movement. What I think will go away are the, is the amount of travel nursing that is currently being used. I mean, what that means economically to TMC would be what we're looking at, where we would typically have a 3% operating margin. The amount um, that we'll spend on premium labor uh, going into next year will bring that down to almost um, no operating margin, really looking at um, a break-even scenario. And, and, and you know, we, um, as a not-for-profit, that margin is important um, resource that we invest back in um, um, delivering healthcare services to our community. And so what options we have to support loan repayment, how we increase the capacity in our nursing education system. I'd love to see some kind of tax credit for nurses working um, in critical healthcare positions in the state of Arizona. I, I think that there's some work to be done in the upcoming legislative session.
0: And just so our listeners understand what's going on, you say the TMC right now is short about 150 nurses. Somebody hears this and says, well, I'm not going to the hospital, that might not be the best medical decision, correct?
3: Correct. I We here at TMC have done a really great job making sure that we have the right amount of staff every day to care for the patients that are here. Our emergency department um, most days has very, very little waiting. And our nursing staff has been a partner to us in terms of um, expanding the number of hours they're willing to work um, to cover any kind of critical shortages. And so um, that, um, and that partnership has been really very successful. And so we've seen um, improvements uh, week after week for about the last four weeks in our, um, in our capacity.
0: That was Mimi Kumler, Tucson Medical Center's CEO. During the height of the pandemic and in recent months, the demand for mental health services increased. Dr. Jasleen Chotwal, the chief medical officer at Sierra Tucson, says one of the things that helped alleviate that need was telehealth.
4: A lot of mental health services in the state moved to the tele-realm, which meant that folks could either come to the office and still have their patients at home, or it was that you know, you were sitting at home and seeing your patients who were sitting at their home. And that really made it that we had to make a huge transition. It was a stressful time. But then on the other hand, what we've heard from colleagues is that they do like working from home. It's a little bit less burdensome, less travel needed, less need to get dressed in a very specific professional manner, carry your lunch, other things. And that, working from home does seem to bring some sort of benefit. However, that's only applicable to people who work independently. So if you're an outpatient psychiatrist, you're a therapist or a psychologist who can see people individually, but when it comes to nurses or other behavioral health technicians who work more in hospital or facility settings, The last year has been very challenging because either in the beginning you didn't have enough hours that you were getting and work was hard to find, or as it is now where there's just not as many people who are left in the field. So even for us as a facility, and I'm hearing from colleagues across the board in the state of Arizona, that they're having a hard time getting fully staffed for nurses as well as behavioral health technicians. are the people who are doing frontline work in a lot of these facilities
0: nurses we've heard a lot about the shortage mental health workers we have not did we lose a lot of them during the pandemic or are we losing them now as the pandemic has changed as is happening with nursing
4: we're also seeing that same need in the behavioral health technician arena Um, These are often individuals who are maintaining safety of the patients, are doing checks on them uh, in facilities, and we are finding that it's been harder to hire in that arena as well, and that jobs have needed to become more competitive than they used to be. I think other places where we're noticing that there are lesser applicants seems to also be the arena of therapists and clinicians who may do one-to-one services. And some of the belief is that people are able to more easily set up their own practice and maybe that's the realm that they're going in. Um, However, the downside to that is that even though they're providing services, they may not be accepting all the insurances, especially private health insurances, Medicaid, Medicare, And hence, for folks who are wanting to use their insurance, it may be a little bit harder to get in, even though there may be therapists in general available for private pay type of treatment.
0: Are people who are looking for mental health services, do they want in person, or do they want to stay with the telehealth that people began getting used to, this Zoom-type conversation like you and I are having uh, during the last 18 months?
4: It seems to be a mixed bag in terms of what patients want. A lot of them do enjoy the convenience of telehealth. However, I've seen quite a few patients in my own practice who really want the one-to-one connection and being able to sit in front of somebody and be seen by them. And so I think for some patients, it can be a source of convenience to say, hey, I'll just take my appointment during my lunch break or while you know I'm traveling to work. Um, But on the other hand, a lot of other individuals do want to see a doctor at least sometimes in person so that there can be a greater one-to-one connection sitting in person before they start seeing them over tele or mixing and matching the appointments where some are in person and some are via telehealth.
0: As a mental health provider, are there advantages for the patient or maybe even yourself For in-person versus telehealth, maybe telehealth is not the way to go for everybody.
4: I think the statement that you made is really true. Telehealth is not the way to go for everybody, especially not all of the time. So folks who may have more severe mental illness and are not able to fully verbalize their own needs, definitely seeing them in person can be a little bit more helpful because you can visually see them and assess them fully for other needs that they may have. Because like you and I, even in our conversation can see, you can only see the person sort of shoulders, neck and head, um, and you don't really get to see their entire body. Whereas for us in psychiatry, we're trying to assess for any tremors, abnormal movements. Uh, We're trying to see how they're dressed, what their hygiene is like, just being able to fully assess the functional capacity. Um, The one advantage, however, can be that one it's convenient you're not having to travel your patient has lesser burden when they're seeing you via telehealth the other thing is that you can see the surrounding that they live in so sometimes i'll have my patients show me their apartment or the house that they're living in and where they've told me they've struggled with some chores in the home environment i can say hey let me see what you're doing and let's see how how bad things really are as compared to what you were sharing with me and that can sometimes help when cognitively assessing whether they're considering themselves to be worse off than they really are. And that can again be a sign of rumination and depression and perseveration. So being able to assess reality of their circumstances can be helpful. Um, The negative side, as we were talking a minute ago, can be just some privacy related issues. Like if they live with others in the household, how do they get to a private space where they can truly talk about what's going on? So definitely telehealth should be something that we're assessing on a case-by-case basis and based on each person's need.
0: That was Dr. Jaseline Chotwall with Sierra Tucson. And that's The Buzz for this week. You can find all our episodes online at azpm.org and subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for The Buzz Arizona. We're also on the NPR One app. Emma Gibson and Megan Myskowski produced this week's show. Jim Blackwood is our production engineer. Our music is by Enter the Haggis. I'm Christopher Conover. Thanks for listening.
3: Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.